Today is the last day of our um, Goliath Must Fall series, and um, I wanted to start with a couple of things. First of all, you need to understand, I, I know we got some visitors here today, and so we do things a little differently, but I, I have to tell you about what my grandson said to me yesterday. So I come by one time, and Caleb and I were going to go do some work, and Waylon comes out, and he calls my double mint gum, he calls it spicy gum, and so whenever the dude sees me, I want some spicy gum, so he comes out, and he realizes I'm not getting out out of my truck because I got my trailer mowers behind. And he goes, pop, pop. And I said, hey, buddy, how are you? And he said, I'm great. He said, if you got some spicy gum in there, why don't you throw it to me? And so I did. I just chunked spicy gum out there. And he said, it's like we're in a parade. And I said, I said, it is, buddy. You're getting some spicy gum. And so then later I came back and I was blowing off their, uh, Caleb forgot to get my blower and I was blowing off their front porch. And he walks out the door and he goes, spicy gum. And I said, just a minute, dude. And so I go and I get him some spicy gum. And, um, and then he goes, come in. I have something for you. And I look at Caleb. Caleb's like, I don't know what he's talking about. And so I walk down to his room, and he's so proud. And he pulls out this, and he goes, here, Pop Pop. Go ahead and put that picture up there. This is you. <laughs> now, he meant it out of love. I don't know what you are laughing about. I don't see why it's so stinking funny. He, he loves his pop-pop. He told me one time, he said, pop-pop, you don't need any hair. And I said, it's a good thing because I don't have any. But uh, so Janie is actually Snoopy and, and Waylon is Woodstock and all of the other grandsons are going to be Woodstocks and, and uh, just hold, but I'm Charlie Brown. So uh, there you go. Um, it has nothing to do with the sermon today. Now, so, okay. So a few weeks ago, I got this bright idea that I would have um, Hannah Branson, I would ask her if she would draw Goliath out here. How many of you saw Goliath as you came up? You know, that man, she is talented. She put Goliath, he's dead. He's got the, Waylon said, he's got X's in his eyes. Is that because he's dead? And I said, yeah, Goliath's dead. So she did this great thing. And go ahead and put that picture up there of hers. Yeah, so there, you know, you can't see it real well from there. But, man, she's so talented. Anytime we have artistic things, we, we ask Hannah if she will do those things because she's so talented. And I'm not trying to embarrass her. I'm just saying God has gifted her. And it's a good thing God gifts us in different areas because I'm just telling you, I am not gifted in art because here is my effort at it. <laughs> That's Goliath. He does have X's in his eyes, but look at his ears, man. And his arms don't even come down to his waist. He is not anatomically correct at all. But I thought you would appreciate Hannah's artistic ability compared to the pastor's. Uh, so God, God gifts you, and, and when you use your gifts to bless the church, you're going to be blessed in return. Does that make sense to you? What that also means is if you do not use your gifts you're going to miss a blessing. The church is going to miss a blessing, and you're going to miss a blessing. If you're a follower of Christ, you have at least one spiritual gift, and you are supposed to. The, the whole reason God gave you that gift was so that you would build up the bride of Christ, the local church. And so I think it doesn't take a whole lot of mental acuity to realize that most Christians, most people who call themselves Christians, don't know their spiritual gift, and they're not using their spiritual gift. So the church is missing out, and that individual is missing out. I don't want you to miss out anymore. All right, as we finish this series, so first thing on your listening guide today is this. Learning and living go together. So I tell you that because in my, in my quiet time this week, in my personal devotional, I was reading through and I was writing down some stuff and this, this jumped out at me because I thought, how sad would it be for you to learn how to live in victory over your giants and not to apply that victory? 
Or how sad would it be for you to have gone through this whole series and, and learn that Jesus Christ has defeated all of them. Anger, fear, comfort, um, rejection, addiction. He's defeated them all. But, but, but so many of you, if you do what typical Christians do, you're going to procrastinate until you even forgot anything about what God taught you. And I thought, that's just so sad. And see, I don't know how many times... We have prayed and God has not answered us because the sole reason we're praying is, oh God, I just want to be free. Not for your glory, just because I want to be free. Or we pray, oh God, um, uh, I, I, I want to be right and I want them to know I'm right. <laughs> that is important to me, but not to God. Only the pure motive of defending the glory of God will get you free from God's enemy. And that's what this series has been about. So I want to I give you a couple of key statements, and then we're going we're gonna to finish this up today. First thing is the key to living a victorious Christian life is obedience. And how many of you just love that term? You love it when you're telling your kids to do something. You want them to obey. But how often do you like that term when God says, I want you to obey? Jesus said this, and he leaves no doubt. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will. What is that four-letter word? That is not a cuss word. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Now, look at the promise. This is amazing. My Father will love them, and we will come to them. And what, will, what is the promise of Jesus that he and his Father will do? They'll do what? Make our home with them. <laughs> the primary reason most Christ followers are not feeling at home with Jesus Christ and with God the Father is because they're disobedient. Why would the Holy Spirit waste his time with disobedient people? If you're not doing what he's already told you to do, why would he give you a new assignment? Because he doesn't get any glory for that. You need to be obedient to what he's told you. So if you're feeling distant from Jesus today, it's, because, it's probably because you're disobedient. If you're feeling fearful and if you felt rejection, if you felt comfortable, if you felt addiction, if you felt anger, those things are, are strong indicators that the reason you're distant from Jesus is because you've been disobedient with, with what Jesus has told you that you need to do. This series is all about Jesus' death and resurrection, which is, we're going to celebrate in just a couple of weeks. That's why I played that video. I want you inviting people to church. I don't, wouldn't it be awesome if there were no empty seats in here on Easter Sunday morning? His resurrection gives us the power to live in victory, but we're not living in victory. So I, I, as I was thinking about this, uh, a statement I read from uh, John Maxwell years ago, I, I bet I was still in youth ministry, so it was at least 20 plus years ago. Um, this has always stuck with me. John Maxwell said this, people change when they hurt enough, they have to change. They learn enough that they want to change that, or they receive enough that they're able to change. Did you know New Life Community Church exists to help people change? Did you know that? Now, we don't want you to hurt enough, but the, but the reality is some of you are going to have to hurt. Because you're just a buckethead and you don't learn anything except through pain. Some of you are going to receive enough or you're going to learn enough that you're going to be able to change and live in victory. Now, we've identified all these giants. And so my question today as we finish up the series is what are you going to do about your giant? Now, I've got a yes or no question I'm going to ask you. Is doing nothing an option, yes or no? Well, is doing, is doing nothing an option? It is an option. Now, here, here's, your, here's your no answer. Is it a wise option? No. So let's do something about it. 
Behind every giant is the enemy of God. And I want to talk to you just a little bit about the enemy of God. In the Bible, their enemy, the, the enemy leader is called the devil, which means the accuser. Revelation 12 tells us that the accuser accuses God's people day and night before the throne of God. Now, that's going to end one day, and he's going to, he's going to cast him down, but he is an, an accuser. The Bible also calls him the adversary. Satan means adversary because he is God's enemy, and by extension, if you're a God follower, your enemy is the same enemy as God's. The spiritual being is also called the tempter by Jesus, the murderer and the liar. He is like, notice this one, go ahead, next one. He is like a lion. I put that in capital. He is not a lion. He wants to roar. He wants to make you think he has power, but he's a toothless lion. And we don't have to give in to his power. The Bible calls him a serpent, and he's like an angel of light. He's not an angel of light. I put it in red. He's like an angel. He is a counterfeiter. And he wants you to think, hey, come this way. But you, the, the Bible tells us all kinds of ways that we can discern. Discern the spirits to see whether they come from God. Any spirit that does not preach or does not say that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is not from God. It's real simple. 1 John 4, test the spirits. And he's the God of this age. That's a lowercase g. He wants to be the uppercase G. It's why he got kicked out of heaven. I will be like the most high is what he said. And God said, no, you won't. I will not share my glory with another. And he kicks him out. Now, here's my question. You see all of those things, the tempter, the murderer, the liar. He's like a lion. He's a serpent. He's like an angel of light. He's the God of this age. Why would you invite that guy to come sit at the table and dine with you? I don't understand. Christ followers all over the place are sitting down and having dinner, having conversations with a liar, with a murderer, with a counterfeit. That just doesn't make sense to me. Now, he has all kinds of power, but he's not the omnis, O-M-N-I. He's not omniscient. God is. God is all-knowing. That's what omniscient means. He's not all-powerful. God is omnipotent, and God is omnipresent. Everywhere present at the same time. The, the enemy of God is not those things. He has power. He has more power than you, but he does not have all of those things. If that's true, if he doesn't have as much power, if he's not the omnis, how does he accomplish so much in our world? Well, that's because Satan has organized helpers. And really, I think this is one of the big things. I think that Christ has disorganized helpers in the church. And it's why we're defeated. In Ephesians 6, Paul tells us about Satan's helpers, and he says they're principalities, they're powers, they're rulers, and spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Why would you invite principalities and powers and spiritual forces of wickedness to come sit down with you? Or how about you get on the same side? Let's, let's cozy up with these guys. And then let's wonder why God doesn't give us deliverance from our giants. Why would you let the enemy sit at your table? We do it through music, we do it through movies, we do it through television shows. We do it through the places we go for entertainment or just to take the edge off on Friday and Saturday nights. We wouldn't miss some of those things, but we'll miss church because church just isn't that important to us. 
I came across Charles B. Williams' translation. I didn't know who this guy was, but I like his translation of, of Ephesians 6, 12, and he says this. For our contest, now I put the word war in there because I don't want you to think this is some game. Our contest, war, is not with human foes alone, but with the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of this dark world. That is the spiritual forces of evil challenging us in the heavenly contest. If you know they want to destroy you, if you know they want to kill you, if you know they want to rip apart your marriage, why would you ask them to sit down and have a meal with you? We do it all the time. Now, in this heavenly contest, Satan wants us to fight people. Because if we're fighting people, you know who we're not fighting? The enemy of God. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, the Bible tells us in Ephesians. In the Old Testament, there's, there's a story, and, and I just got to set this up for you before I, before I read this. So anytime the, the Israelites disobeyed God, God removed his hand of blessing and protection from them and, and would not fight for them, and so they would be destroyed. And so in one of those occasions, they were not following God. God says, you're on your own. And that, actually, the worst words in Scripture is God gave them up. Anytime we are, we are defiantly disobedient to God, he, God gives you up so that you'll, you'll suffer the consequences of your actions, and he's hoping that someday maybe you'll come to your senses. Have any of y'all come to your senses? God gave you up, and, and now your testimony is, hey, I was at the bottom, and I finally realized that I'm an idiot. So God gave them up, and, and the army of Syria is coming, and they are about to destroy God's people. But the commander of the army of Syria, the king, and it's going to say Aram, but uh, I think I put Syria in here. Um, the commander, he says this to him. He says, when we go to fight Israel, this is what he says in 1 Kings twenty two thirty one. Now the king of Aram, and that's Syria is what we would call it, had ordered his 32 chariot commanders, do not fight with anyone small or great except the king of Israel. The enemy of God wants to take out the leaders. He wants to take out the pastors. He wants to take out the youth ministers, the children's ministers. He wants to take out the daddies. And if you're a single mom, he wants to take you out. Because he knows there's this ripple effect that generations will be impacted if he gets the leaders. We have to wake up as Christ followers and begin to fight against Satan, not against other people. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And we did this in our series, but I'm just going to ask again because I'm not sure you know. How many people in this room are flesh and blood? If you're fighting with somebody on the other side of the room... The Bible says your fight is not with them. Your fight is with who is behind them, trying to control them, trying to manipulate the situation so that you'll fight, so that you'll ignore the real enemy. Why would you invite that enemy to sit at your table? Why would you invite the devil or his henchmen, that's what they are, to sit at the table with you? Now, in, in a few weeks, we're going to have another um, family worship, and, and we're, we're continuing our study on the, uh, the armor of God. And uh, the very first element there is the belt of truth. And, and I just want to bring this up because truth is the integrating force in the life of a victorious Christian. A man or woman of God with a clear conscience has the ability to use the, the armor of God. If you, don't, if you don't have truth, if truth is not the belt, then you don't even have the opportunity to use the truth of God's word, the weapons that God has given us. Now, i got to find it. I left it up here. So when we talk about the sword of the Spirit as the Word of God, it's not really a sword. It's a dagger. 
And you know why it's a dagger? Because when you realize the enemy is sitting at your table, that's not time to bring out the... The word of God is what Jesus used whenever he was tempted by Satan. Satan said, why don't you turn these stones into bread? And he said, it is written. He said, how about I throw you off the temple and, and God's going to bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. He said, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He said, how about you bow down and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. You won't have to go to the cross. And Jesus said, it is written. Uh, you shall worship the Lord and serve him only. Then he says, be gone, Satan. The reason you're being defeated is you don't even know what this weapon is, much less how to use it. If you have a clear conscience, you can practice truth. You can use God's weapons, his defensive weapons, and his only offensive weapon. And so that's what I need to tell you today is that if you know about the Word of God, the Word of God was more than enough. I want you to say more than enough. Okay, I'm going to say the Word of God, and you're going to say is more than enough. The Word of God, if you're on Facebook, I'd like you to type that out. You have no idea how much it encourages me when I, say, when I see there's 28 comments on, on Facebook, because sometimes I get on and there's none, and I'm like, dude, nobody, nobody watched. So more than enough, the Word of God, the... the sword of the spirit is more than enough. It was more than enough to defeat Egypt. You remember the, the Israelites were slaves. They had no weapons except the word of God. Remember when Moses went to Pharaoh, he said, God said, let my people go. The word of God was more than enough to deliver them from Egypt. And it's more than enough. I want you to say more than enough for God to deliver you from your giant. Do you believe that? Whether you believe it or not, it's true. Whether you believe it or not, it's, it's actually irrelevant. The Word of God has power. But I want to tell you why you're suffering defeat, why you can't use this. Number one, there's at least three reasons, but I came up with three today. You don't know the Word of God. You don't even know this thing exists. You think the devil's going to wait for you to say, wait a minute, I need to Google where that's found. In, in Psalm 119, 9 through 11, David says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. And then verse 11, you've probably heard verse 11. Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word I've hidden so that when I need it and the devil tries to sit at my table, I can defeat him. With, it's more than enough to defeat him. But you don't know it. And if you don't know you have a spiritual weapon, it does you no good. Number two, you're isolated. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I am going to burst your bubble today. You're dead meat spiritually when you neglect God and God's people. In the armory of God, there's, there's a shield, and I love this thing. I bought one. This is called a scutum. I want you to say that because it's just fun to say. This is a scutum. Scutum. All right, we're going to talk about this. Um, there's a shield, and I did a little research on this, and the Romans in the first century used the scutum um, because and they actually, at first, they didn't have this little covering here, and so their hands were out. I'm like, dude, just stab them in the hand. They'll put that shield down real fast. So somebody got bright, and they put one of these on to, to protect the hand. Now, it was called a scutum, and um, 
the really cool thing about this shield is it was made with the curved edges so that it could be put together to protect you. So I got a picture. Go ahead and put that picture up there. This changed the way I look at church because this is how church is supposed to be. You're supposed to interlock your shield with the, the believer next to you because when you're facing the enemy, how effective are the enemy's weapons going to be against you when you're in? This is called the testudo formation. I don't know. I'm thinking testudo. I don't know. I just read about it. That's what it is. But they said it's because, it's because you're like a turtle. Why didn't you say turtle? But it says testudo. Because you can advance. Now, I actually found another one. Go ahead and put that next one up. I like this one because dudes are on the side too. Right? I want to be protected from all sides. <laughs> Since Paul uses the, this type of imagery, it tells me that Christians are not now, nor are they ever supposed to be alone. You're defeated because you're isolated. And even if you know about the, the shield of faith, by the way, the shield of faith and the armor of God is not saving faith. Saving faith is you accept from, from God his, his substitute of Jesus on the cross. You ask him to forgive your sins and lead your life. Because he's your substitute, you have salvation. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a living faith where you take up all of the armor that God gives you and you stand firm. Because a lot of times the Bible says all you're supposed to do is put on the armor of God and stand. Because God often says the battle is not yours. God says sometimes stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. Yes, go ahead and armor up. Get in testudo formation and watch God deliver you. So many of you don't even carry a shield with you when you go anywhere. The shield of faith, let's leave it at home. Why? Because we might look foolish. Now, I'm probably not going to go out to eat today with my shield of faith. Right? I'm not talking about literally carrying a shield. I think it's really foolish to go into battle every day with no weapons, no armor at all. I don't want to look foolish. I, don't want, I want people to think I'm a crazy Christian. I think it's time we had a few more crazy Christians in this world. And I don't mean crazy where you're, you're jumping up, beating them over the head with a, with a Bible. That's just offensive. I'll get in your face if I see you do that. Nobody wants that. Jesus said that, that people outside these walls will know that we're Christians by our love for one another. Not by beating each other up with the biggest family Bible we can find. Nowhere in the New Testament do we find an isolated believer. If you're isolated today, it's your choice and you're disobedient. We need other believers to stand with us in the fight. So this Christian life, it's a battleground, not a playground. Too many people are playing at Christianity. So we need other soldiers to fight with us if we're going to be successful. And so if you want to be successful, then, then I think you should be in a church or that, that looks, go ahead and put that next picture. It's the same picture. Because I want to, I want to ask you a question. If, if you are being attacked by the enemy of God, and this represents the army of God. Where is the safest place to be? I want, to, I want you to tell me out loud. Say to me, where's the safest place to be if you're in the testudo formation? In the middle. Three and a half years ago, a prayer group started for my family. We still meet almost every week. And the people in that prayer group are my testudo formation. 
There was, if you were here then, you know that I took the month of, of October off. I don't even remember that month. And there were people who gathered around us and prayed over us, prayed for us. And you better believe if they go through tough times, I'll be on the outside protecting them. It's my goal that we, if, if God leaves us here long enough, we have a 20-year prayer group. And I'm telling you the same stories in 20 years that I'm telling you today. The safest place is to be in the middle, shoulder to shoulder with people who know us and love us and will fight for us. It's just dumb to fight alone. So if you're defeated, that means you, you don't have the belt of truth. You've not been living in truth. You, you're not taking up your shield. You're no dagger. you got no army. And then to make it even worse, number three is you're fraternizing with the enemy. We cannot fight Goliath if we have even a partial allegiance to pagan gods. Anything other than God. That's the reason the first of the Ten Commandments says, you shall have no other gods before me. Before me literally means in my sight. There is not a thing that should compete with God for the throne of your life. And if anything does, you've put down all the armor and you've, you've dived head first into the cesspool of, of darkness with the enemy of God. So, so more than just you're having dinner with him, you're living with him. In, uh, in Psalm 23, so I've been thinking about this for a long time, and sometime I'm just going to do a sermon on the whole thing. But in Psalm 23, I think David was at the end of his life when he wrote Psalm 23. I think he's looking back, you know, and he says, The Lord is my shepherd. He remembered being a shepherd. I shall not want. Um, he, lies, he leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But in verse 5, he says something that stunned me and that you do not find in any other world religion. Here's what he says in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That word table um, comes from the Spanish word mesa. And so if you're taking this whole shepherd theme about the, the 23rd Psalm, what it means, what it's referring to is a shepherd would, would have to go and scout out land. So all they would do the whole time is they would take their flock from this pasture to this pasture. They would, they would make sure they had everything that they need. And so when we went to, to Israel with my family, we stopped outside of Jerusalem, and we went up on this hill, and we looked in this massive valley, and our guide said, this is where Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. And then he said, see those dots at the bottom of the valley? There's little green spots. He said, those are actually shepherds who are taking their, their uh, sheep through the valley of the shadow of death. He said, when, when, when David was writing this, this is the valley because the sun moves and the shadows come down and people can hide in crevices and predators can hide in crevices. This is the valley of the shadow of death. And he's taken them from one place of nourishment and protection to another place of nourishment and protection. And the only reason they get nourishment and protection is because the shepherd is with them. And the shepherd very often would have to go and scout out places. And so he would know at certain times of year, not during the winter, not during the fall, but he would know that on these high mesas, these tables, there would be abundant grass and there would actually even be streams and he would dam up the stream and make it still water so that he would take these sheep up on top of the mesa the table in the presence because predators had figured out all you have to do is hang around the table the mesa and the dumb sheep are going to come up and then if somebody just runs down and goes boo they're going to take off running we're going to kill the weakest one but the shepherd would go and prepare the table because he would take out all of the poisonous 
um, weeds that would kill or, or make his sheep sick. He would have to remove all those. He would have to make sure the waters were clear and, and good waters for them. And he would either have to trap the predators, but the predators probably weren't there when he was scouting because no food was there. Predators are smart. The predators are going to come back, though, whenever he brings the sheep. And the only way the sheep are going to survive is if, that, if they stay near to the shepherd and the shepherd's watching out for the predators saying, not today. You will not get the sheep. And I don't know if you know this, but, but when, they would, when they would cause the sheep at night, they would have them lie down. If they had a cave, they would put them in a cave, and then the shepherd would literally lay across the opening of the cave. He's the door. He was the protection for the sheep. And if they didn't, if they were out somewhere, all the shepherds would line around and they would protect. No, you're not messing with my sheep. And so when he says, I prepare, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, that's what it's talking about. Your shepherd doesn't want you dining with the enemy. He wants you to follow him and he's going to lead you to the table and he's going to protect you. And you're not, you're not flaunting it. Oh, look at me. Not today, devil. I got news for you. Your, your words mean nothing to him. God's word causes him to tremble. We don't know that. Can you imagine how dumb it would be for a sheep to say, I don't want to, I don't want to sit at this table, which my, my heavenly father, my shepherd has prepared for me. I want to go to my own table where there's no protection where there's predators everywhere. How dumb would that be? Forget the shepherd's table. Would that be dumb? I want you to say really dumb. To be free from your giant today, you need to be in the flock of Jesus Christ. You need to come to his table. We're going to have the Lord's Supper today, and I'm going to explain that to you before we do it. But I wanted to have this as as an illustration of, of what's going on today. Stop sitting with the enemy and start sitting with your Savior. Now, there's a couple of things I want you to do before you take the Lord's Supper, and, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this today, but put the first one up if you would, Nate. The first thing you need to do is confess sin. The Bible says that many of you are sick, and, if, and some have died because you dared come to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. What's a worthy manner? You better confess your sin. If, if you're living in, in blatant disobedience, rebellion to God, I'm just warning you right now, don't come to the table. Because you're saying, you're spitting on the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, if you confess your sins, every time I try to be strong about this, but if you confess your sins, 1 John 1, 9 says, He is faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you confess all your known sins, then you come to the table today. We're just going to have one table today. Normally, we make it easy. We're not making it so easy today. We're going to move this table down, and and we're going to do that. But you better confess sin. Second, I don't remember what's next. You're going to have to put it up there. Thank God for being your shepherd who prepares this table for you in the presence of the enemy of God. The enemy, we don't fight against flesh and blood. The enemy's not in this room physically. He's here spiritually. Some folks brought him in today because he's a regular at their table. And maybe you need to spend some time confessing that and asking God to get rid of your giant. Next. So Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so you're supposed to remember that he's a substitute for you. You don't get to come to the table because you're the pastor's son. Just happened to think about that. 
You come to the table because you're God's son or daughter. And you've asked him to forgive your sins and you lead your life. And then the fourth thing. The Bible's very clear. If you, if you are sitting there, you're confessing, you're thanking God, and you remember that somebody has something against you, you're not supposed to come to the Lord's table. You're supposed to go make things right. It's the one time. It's the one time in Scripture Jesus said it's okay to leave church. He says if you're making your offering and you remember somebody has something against you, you leave your offering and you go and you make things right, then you come back. And so some of you may not take the Lord's Supper today because when I was talking, you, you thought of the person that you are not right with. Now, Romans, uh, Romans, I think it's 12, says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. If you've made attempts and they reject that, that's on them. That's not on you. But a lot of times we've not even made the effort. And so my warning today is if you've not made the effort, don't come to the Lord's Supper. Now, you don't have to be a member of this church to take the Lord's Supper. You just have to be a member of God's family. And you have to have said, God, will you forgive me of my sins and will you lead my life. You don't have to say those words, but you have to be adopted into God's family. If you're adopted into God's family, then this table is open to anyone, regardless of your past. We got some messed up pasts here. Our messed up pasts don't define us. What defines us is the cross of Jesus Christ and that we're a child of his. So I think I forgot to put it on there, Nate, but if you'll go to the, to the music section, there's a Lord's Supper music section and just start putting that on there. I'm going to pray. We're going to move the table down. And then if it, when you feel ready, come. And, 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 you know, we haven't done this. I don't know if we've done this ever, but maybe we have. You can come individually, but if you want to come as a family, I would encourage you to come as a family and to take the Lord's Supper today. So give us just a second. You prepare your heart, um, and then we're going to have it. We're going to say goodbye to Facebook. We hope you'll be here next week. Um, we want to fill this place on, on Palm Sunday, that's next week, and then Easter Sunday is the week after that. Love you guys, and, and, and we'll see you soon.